Hey. Good morning. Good morning. And welcome to Front Row with Jackie Rowe. How are you this morning, Natalie? I'm doing well. Awesome. Awesome. So yesterday we recorded, but it was a little low. So I think now we're on the same vibration. Um, Could you care to let the audience know, you know, your first name and where you located, not verbatim, right, where you're located, but, you know, where you're from? Okay. My name is Natalie Burke and I am from Brooklyn, New York, but I've lived in Arizona for the last 20 odd years. Okay. Awesome. So yesterday I started off by saying that, you know, at the beginning or I believe the end of the last year, might've left a clip on a little bit of a motivation for some people that are going through certain things in life and especially when someone is doing it by themselves. and I left the clip about it and I was talking about you know sometimes you just got to be strong you just got to keep going you can't get nobody can't get you off your horse you just got to keep riding all the way to the end and I said you know it's so funny because I woke up thinking about you yesterday it was really weird and I said you were so heavy on my heart and I was like well let me call and check on you because for those that don't know you know I met you last year and I heard your story like I meet a lot of people and I hear stories and I'm you know okay you know blah, 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 but yours weighed on me different you know what I mean so I woke up yesterday and I thought about you and then we had a little conversation right and then I said you mm-hmm. Yeah, let me just put this out. Let me put your, let me put my podcast together and let me just put your story out there. Let you tell the world exactly what was going through. So we did record and it was a little bit low, but I wanted the world to hear it very clearly and very precise. So we're doing it over again for you guys. <laughs> so Nat, just again, just please tell the world how you're feeling this morning. Well, t- this morning, I'm feeling great. That's because the recharge yesterday. Guys. That's because I got the recharge yesterday, and you spoke some life and positive, encouraging me. But just to recap, um, yesterday, Jackie called me, and I was feeling kind of down. I was on that. I explained to her, and uh, she gave me a check about being wise with my words. But I have to be transparent with her. Like, I feel... I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and I'm a worry and I can make it. And then I also feel like I'm torn. I'm right in between. If one more thing happens, I'm just ready to just end it all. And she was like, don't you, you know, you told me, he's like, don't say that. And I had to really sit and I did a lot of reflection. That's why I sound so much charged up today. I sound way better. I sound energetic. I feel it too. Not just the sound, but like in my spirit, it was like something was just like reborn inside of me. And um, I needed that fuel and that fire that you gave me yesterday. So thank you. But I've just been feeling discouraged and down, uh, depression. My body is, I had a a mini stroke back in November and it's all stress related. So, you know. Mm -hmm. Tell them why you're stressed. Please just get them back to the beginning of everything that, you know, you have been dealing with and going through from the beginning you know, where charges, where all the stuff that happened. I'm just ashamed of such the charges, but now they know. But go ahead. <laughs> all right. So um, 20 years ago in 2003, I was arrested and then later convicted for marijuana charges in the state of Arizona. Um, since then, I was 
sentenced, did my time, uh, did my community service, paid my restitution. I went back to school. And while I had just went back to school, I'm sitting in my house one night having dinner with my son. We had just finished having dinner and we were watching that show, The Game on BT. And the bell rings and one of my friends was at the house. She opened the door and <clears throat> it was ICE, but they lied and said they were they were the police doing an investigation. So I was like, I know I ain't in no trouble. You know what I mean? I'm walking a straight and narrow. I'm not doing anything. Let me go to this door. When I go to this door, it's immigration. And then they let me know, like, oh, you have felonies on your record. You just have a green card. You're not a citizen. So we taking you in and we're going to process you for deportation. With that being said, I ended up in a federal facility for 18 months fighting to stay with my son because I'm his only parent. And at the time, I had full custody of my son. His dad was, like, very abusive, like, fractured my face, put me in the hospital several times. Um, I went through a lot. And so I'm like, I to hear that because you know I'm an advocate against domestic violence. I never like to hear that. But before I'm sorry to interrupt you, could you tell them what the charges were? Okay, so I had got caught with weed. I was trafficking weed from Arizona all over. And what um, did they charge you? What was with possession, uh, drug paraphernalia, and conspiracy to traffic and sales of marijuana? Okay. So, um, then, okay, so yeah, back to that. So I got to have those charges. My co-defendants took a plea. They all plead, took a plea, and were going to testify against me. And so, um, my attorney that I paid a hefty good five figures to told me to not come back to court anymore. He was like, hey, they're trying to give you two and a half years. The charge is want you to take. It's going to be deportable. And I just think that this is so stupid because it's marijuana you know he's like it's not cocaine it's not heroin it's marijuana and they're going to deport you for that and so, so I just I, want to be real clear again sorry to interrupt you the attorney told you wasn't to come back to court right that's, that's correct okay my attorney advised me not to report back to court but what he didn't tell me was that they can still go to trial without me so me listening mm-hmm. to him I didn't go back to court. I left Arizona, went to the East Coast. I stayed out there for about a year. And um, then one day I found out that I had a warrant for my uh, arrest. And I, I kind of figured it, you know, I'm not going back to court. They're going to be looking for me. Mm-hmm. And so warrant was out for my arrest. And they, I found out what the, I didn't, um, I just thought like, you know, if, when, if they were to ever get me, then I would go back to court. He never told me. They went to trial without me for four days. So I was convicted of four felony charges. So murder in Arizona is a felony one. And I they gave me two felony two charges. And like the police just made up a whole bunch of stuff. It was a lot of stuff wrong and lies in that case. And um, But because I wasn't there, you know, to have my day in court, you know, per the advisement of my attorney, um, I ended up with those four charges. Now... When I get picked up, I'm looking at four and a half to 12 years. Wow. So now I'm looking at something that was two and a half years. All my co-defendants did a year or less. And I'm looking at 12 years for the same thing. So I'm on the run. In the meantime, you know, in the interim while I was on the run, my son, who was five years old at the time, led me to a church. Mm. And um, I go into this church and it's so crazy. Like the pastor's talking and he's like, 
you know, next time, you know, you in a bad relationship and that person tells you that you ain't going to be nothing without them. You tell them, talk to the hands and not to the ears. He starts saying like, you're a daughter of the most high, you're a daughter of the king, you're royalty, that you don't deserve anybody to be hitting on you. And I can believe like nobody at the church knew me. So how did they know my story? And I began to just cry in the church. And I'm like, how did they know that? And then the next week, my son is like, come on, mom, we're going back to church. And every Sunday, my son wanted me to go to church. And so anyway, I ended up talking to my pastor. And my pastor says, um, telling the pastor, I finally told him, like, yo, I'm on the run. You know what I mean? He wanted me to, like, give me stuff to do in the church. And I'm like, nah, I'm on the run. I can't do that. This is the only place I use my real name. And he's like, wow, I never thought you would tell me something like that. He goes, but you know what? You are a CEO out of purpose. And he's like, you're a good mom. And he's like, God is going to get you out of this. And he gave me the scripture to stand on. And it was Proverbs 21.1. And it says that God has the heart of the king in his hand. And he told me, he said, instead of using the word king, he said, I want you to pray. And just every day, just start confessing like it already happened. Thank you, Father, for touching mm-hmm. the heart and turning the judge's heart in my favor so i'm looking at him like what i said okay so i started doing it every single day for like a year and he gave me these attorneys a new attorney's phone number mm-hmm. i called the new attorney the new attorney's like that that's when he let me know he said oh my god she said you've been convicted of four felonies so the first time i found out that like they went to trial without me and he goes but you have like some of the best attorneys in the whole state he's like actually in the top hundred attorneys in the country and he goes, but he goes, you can't go to court and say that these people told you this because they're never going to admit to that in court because they would get disbarred for telling you. So that was like the first time I found out that what they did was illegal as well. Mm-hmm. So then I start researching them and I'm looking in this. They have this new this magazine called The New Times in Arizona. And I see that the, my law firm is in there. And it's because like they investigator was like knocking witnesses off and prosecutors getting killed and witnesses getting murdered and I'm like so he was like you definitely don't want to ding them because you know what I mean they little sketchy and I was like oh my gosh so I had to just eat it and keep it to myself right but I was like you know in my heart of hearts I'm like all right God I'm I'm believing in you I can't put my faith in man I'm gonna put my faith in you and this is what I'm, I started saying that confession so much till I actually believed it so now fast forward a year later I, go, I mean the, the day after I met with the man the attorney, the new attorney, mm-hmm. he this he tells me that I have to call the old attorneys and give them permission so that they could work together because it was like so late in the case. He said, when you get picked up or you turn yourself in, it's only going to be sentencing. So I said, okay, cool. So I call the attorneys, tell them that they need to talk to him. They say, okay. And the next day, I've just finished taking my son to the um to, to a, a interview for a private school. And the police roll up on me undercovers. And my pastor's son, my pastor's son gave me up. Like, this is like a whole movie. My pastor's son, I don't even think I told you this yesterday. He got caught with some coke and he gave me up. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So I get picked up. They know my name. They at my house. You know what I'm saying? And um, my son is in the car with me and I'm like, oh man like this is crazy so I give him my phones the officer was real nice though and he goes I'm not gonna you know process your son if you get, can get somebody to pick him up in 15 minutes we'll let him go with them and I called this lady from my church and she was there in 15 minutes came and got him so one t- the first time he witnessed me and he just looked at me he said, Mom, don't worry about it you're gonna be out in four and I'm like mm-hmm. I said okay so I went to the police station and they talking crazy to me like yo 
um, you going to the officer says you going to prison for a very long time. Now, mind you, I had an ID on me that wasn't my name, and he goes, "I'm not even going to book you for this." So I know that was another sign from God. He's like, "I'm not even adding this charge to you." He's like, "Cause you going to prison for a very long time," mm-hmm. and I just in my mind said, "Devil is a liar," and I just smiled and I said, "Okay," and they I end up going to the to, to the county, and I sat in there. Um, what happened next? Then you know, like I said, it was only time for me to go to sentence, and every month that they keep on, uh, like delaying my court date, keep kept delaying my court date, kept delaying my court date, and I'm like, Dad, they telling me I'm late to court, and I'm like, How am I late to court when I'm in custody? Because they wouldn't give me a bail because I have skipped the first bail, I have skipped out on ninety thousand, and. I had paid cash, so that was a good thing. So, like, you don't have to worry about nobody. Because, like I said, my main concern was making sure that my son was safe. And um, while I was locked up, my pastor and his wife ended up keeping my son for me. So, that was a blessing. And <clears throat> But I'm going through it now. And everybody in the jail is like, yo, you're going to do some time. You know how everybody think that. You don't, I don't know yeah. you know. But people be thinking they jailhouse lawyers. And they like, yo, you're going to do a lot of time. I promise you one day I just heard the voice of the Lord say you're going to get probation and I said okay and I took a deep breath said okay I'm gonna get probation and finally I was in there for 86 days before I had a sentence in date so I go to get sentenced the prosecutor gives my attorney the the plea and it is the minimum four and a half the maximum 12 years and so she gives it to me and I said I'm not taking that I can I'm not going to nobody's for four and a half years I said nope I don't want that I said go talk to the judge I can't I'm not going to sign that plea so he goes and talks to the judge and he goes oh my god he goes my heart has been torn about this case and he was trying to cover the mic but I heard him and I said that man just said his heart this judge just said his heart I was like I've been praying for his heart for like a whole year that his heart would be turned in my favor remember I told you about the scripture and I'm like so she comes over to me. She goes, his heart's torn. You want me to put this off for another 30 days? I said, nah, I want to get sentenced today. I want to, today's the day. So she was like, okay. She's looking at me like I'm crazy. And she would go up to the stand. And he talked to me like he was a father. And he was like, you have all these felonies on your name. He goes, you are going to have a very hard and a rough life. So that's what I'm torn about. He goes, because you have the five felonies. He was like, nobody else on the four felonies. Like nobody else on your case you're none of your co-defendants have this he goes and they did less time than what they're trying to give me to do yet it's the same amount of you know marijuana it's the same case it's the same thing you know he's like so in my i can't in good conscience and there's nowhere in the law that says i have to give you more time because you never came back to court there's no law that says that he's like so that's what i'm battling with and he looked at me and he goes but i know i could tell that you're a changed person he was like so starts going over all the counts and he's like but you're gonna do sometime at that point my knees is buckling I'm like about to I'm holding on to the podium Mm -hmm. and he asked me to talk I said you know told him my heart I apologize to the courts my family and he goes 120 days and three years probation 120 days and three years probation he said it four times he goes give her her back time run it consecutive and that's it. And I had to do community service, take all these classes and uh, pay restitution. And so that's part of the story. You want me to just keep going or you want to ask? Yes, of course. I want you to just use this as a platform to explain okay. exactly everything that happened. Definitely. So after um, that, he so he had, he advised me to 
file for an appeal. So I filed for the appeal because he goes, you got, you know, sentenced by a jury. So you have the right to appeal this. So I appealed it. Boom. About six months later, my father gets killed in Jamaica. Oh my gosh. And he got, um, that's a whole nother movie. I didn't know that. Thank you. Yeah. My dad gets murdered in Jamaica. And, um, now immigration had came I mean, I, ha- I didn't know that I had an immigration hold, but they my, they came and got me. I forgot. I'm skipping apart. I'm sorry. So after I got out, I'm in, on probation. One day I'm in the probation office and the lady tells me, she was like, oh, um, I need you to come in today. And I'm like, all right. So I go in and she goes, what you, she goes, um, no, I don't need you to come to my office. Some people want to talk to you when I go it's ICE. So they're there. They take me into custody. My attorney filed some paperwork because I had an appeal going. They didn't have the right to do anything to me. So they had to release me. So right after I got released, about two months later, my father was murdered. I had to fly to Jamaica. I went to Jamaica. When I came back, they detained me at JFK. But because I had already went through the whole system in Arizona, they had to let me go. So they let me go. So I thought I was cool and I'm fine. About a year later, after I lost the appeal, uh, that's when I was having dinner with my son. We watching movies, watching TV, and Ice comes to my house, takes me out. I ended up in a federal facility with a bunch of people with like murder charges and hmm. all type of stuff. I'm in there with them, and um, I ended up. I was there for 18 months fighting, and after 18 months, so okay, so. How did you feel when you were in there? I mean, this is all muting. You this has been you did the time already, right? Mm-hmm. And now you're in, you know, of course that was the first time you did time, correct? Yep. And that must have been a, a experience for you there. So now <laughs> I don't even want to ask you that back then because you know, most of the times people think when you go to jail, you know, I mean you fit right in. And I'm quite sure you had to maneuver, you had to fed and fight for yours and you know what I'm saying, to survive and show that you were like little you weren't a punk or nothing, you know? So now you had to go through all of that, correct? Yep. Then you come out and you're moving around and you're trying to get things done in your life. And then you're picked up again and you go into a, another facility where I think it's a lot more scarier than... <laughs> yeah, it was pretty... <laughs> that, one was, that one was off the chain. But um, it, like you said, I, I knew I never belong here. Like, I didn't even know what meth was until I got locked up. I'm mm. like, oh, while I'm going to Whole Foods and shopping and at the fashion mall where's all these people at you know so honestly it, it humbled me it opened my eyes to just like the things happening in society and mm-hmm. uh, and through that dark place though that's where natalie the social worker was birthed because i was in there giving the girls the resources like yo you know you don't have to go back to this life girl. and then i also lo- notes a common denominator whether they was in there for like drugs whether most of the charges these women was holding down a man or you didn't say something like even myself I could have told on enough people when I got picked up and mm-hmm. I was like with the street code like yo we don't tell you was doing a crime you know what it was you just gonna hold it you know what I'm saying and this and, is ISIS facility correct this is a I, yeah a, it, it was a it's a federal facility but they house uh what you call Im- immigration Im- immigrant I mean they house immigration detainees there okay and so um, it's a CCA facility. And so um, I'm there and it's just like, you know, these people, you know, they coming from some of the some of the girls are coming from some of the maximum security prisons in um, 
in Cali and all over the place. And I, I didn't do no maximum time. I told you, I was in the county. I'll lie about that. And I'm like, you know, county people sn- struggle smuggling drugs, but it's not no easy thing. You got to squat, cough. Like, they really dehumanize you to the point where, like, you ready to take a plea just so you can get out of there. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And a lot of, I saw a lot of girls just, like, self-deport because they didn't want to be locked up. But I was like, I can't do that. If I do that, and what I'm walking out on, you know, because a lot of people tell me, like, why you don't just go back to Jamaica? It's beautiful. It's beautiful when you got a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? Right. They can protect yourself. Like, <laughs> there's no welfare, no social services there. There's no food stamps. There's no Medicaid. In right. You ain't got it. Yeah. Thank God it is eat or be eaten. People think that the movie Belly, when you see the little kids and they got the gun to the window and Tommy and Ox is at the thing, that that's a joke. That's real hmm. life. Like, if you don't got it, your stomach is going to be touching your back and there are no food stamps. You know what I'm saying? So you're going to have to just go figure it out for your family. And I'm I'm here. And I, if I get deported, I'm down there at the mercy of calling family and friends to take care of me. Because, like I said, I never went back to the streets. I decided to go to school. And uh, I was driving Uber, selling food out the, out the crib. I lived in Arizona. It wasn't a lot of jerk, you know, no jerk chicken, no Jamaican food. So mm-hmm. I'm really on my grind hustling because I'm like I know they was loving the food though (laughs) they were loving the food they was like I never want my son to see me go backwards I want him to see another life and he knew what it was so I would explain to him like mommy was in here and these kids let me tell you something I remember one day I called home my niece and my son is like they're like she's like auntie we google you you got convicted for marijuana and she's like reading I'm like oh my god so they knew but so I started explaining to them they were in junior high school about the streets, about life. And you know what I'm saying? My son was like, you start your phone. You have three phones, your phone ringing. Nobody don't be calling now. Yeah, because everybody's scattered. And it was just me and my son. You know what I'm saying? And the church people. And you want to know something crazy? When I first started going to church and I was on the run, my homeboys would curse me. They're like, yo, you getting brainwashed by the church. You getting brainwashed by the people. This, that, and the third. And when it was time for me to go do that bid, nobody offered to take care of my son. Everybody wanted to ask me. Always like that. So Who's going to take your jewelry? What you going to do with your jewelry? What you going to do with your whip? What you going to do with this? Nobody cared about the most important thing, which was my son. And that's one of the reasons why I said, man, I heard somebody say, like, you could love the streets, but the streets ain't never going to love you back. Say that again, because that's the truth. You know, when you're you're popping everybody and their mother, you find all kind of insect come out the ground that you've never heard of. You don't (laughs) But what kind of bug is that <laughs> bug? You know what I'm saying? Yep. But um, but when you are, you know, like detained and it's all over the hill for you, please, you they them, them bugs turn into damn butterflies. They fly away so fast. And you're like, okay, mm-hmm. ask nothing, but continue. Yeah, and I'm like, I, you know, I held it down. I'm like, yo, I'm not gonna involve nobody else in my situation because in my mindset was like at the least you know what I mean they free they gonna make sure that my son is good we all not gonna be back and I just don't believe in snitching you know what I'm saying and I'm like man when I tell you that these a couple of people held me down a couple it was like I have to call and be sending messages but like people turn their phone off on me like man I didn't say nothing and so y'all should have knew that you know what I mean for six years I'm out here I'm still making sure that people is good I'm responsible for a lot of people in Brooklyn 
becoming millionaires back in that era. You feel me? And I'm like, hey, y'all not even making sure that my kid is good. I don't even care about me. You don't got to put money on my books. Every time I got locked up, I had money. So I, I didn't want to my attorney. But, but the fact that y'all didn't even say, let me take her son to a movie. It's Christmas. Let me call and make sure he's good. Let me see if he needs a ride to go on a visit or anything. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. None of those street people did it. And they wanted me to turn my back on the godly people. And those are the people that held me down. I've never even asked my pastor. He just came to me and said, you know what? I've never seen you without your son. And I've never seen your son without you. Y'all are like two peas in a pod. <laughs> like, I don't feel comfortable to you guys to be separated so me and my wife we talked about it and if he wants to come live with us he's like i don't know if our house is as, as big as yours but <laughs> i mean he could live with us and my son went there and he you know he already had liked them and he started calling them grandma grandpa oh. and he stayed with them and then uh one day my son's father one of his barbers saw me locked up and he um the barber saw me. My son's dad wasn't even around for like a good six months to a year. Mm-hmm. And mind you, he's there. He's just one of those men that like, if he ain't messing with you, he's not messing with the kid either. And so uh, we, he, he, the barber saw me, must have went back and told him. This man went to my son's school. My son was in fifth grade. And my son saw him and ran from him, ran back inside the school. But because there was no paperwork or anything. This is when I was in the county. There was no paperwork or anything for us. Um, and he's on the birth certificate. My son had to go with him and he would not let me see my son. It would not let no visits come. And then those same attorneys, now that I think about it, I don't know what they said, but I told my attorney that I have to see my son and I'm sad. And she put a message to him that next Sunday my son was on a visit. Oh, but praise God, that was wonderful. Yeah, and then he tried to take my son from me while I was there and go to the courts and be like, oh, his mother's a drug dealer, X, Y, Z. When he was the one who gave me the plug and was in the whole thing with me, feel me? And I'm like, and it backfired on him. You know what I'm saying? So I know, like, yesterday when you were talking to me, you, like, remember how the boss that you are, remember who you are. And I just start to remember all the things that God has done for me and blessed me with that, like, this is just another chapter in the book. And I didn't think I was going to make it when I was locked up. Like, any mother not being able to see your kid, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not being able to move freely. And jail is not no place for nobody. Like, nobody gets rehabilitated in there. I think I told you this yesterday, too. Yeah. While I was in there, they people see your charges like, oh, you were trafficking weed. Wow. My brother's in the cartel. You know what I mean? You can help us move stuff. Mm-hmm. When thing, I'll give you the number. You getting out before me. Here's my brother's information. And I I'm like, I don't even know that you don't want to hear none of that. All you want to do is hold your son. Yeah, that, I don't want to hear nothing. Yeah, you know, that must have been devastating to you. Like, you know, that bond that you already have developed with your son. You just wanted to just, just want to, you just want to hold him. You just want to see him. You know what I mean? You just, just, just make this all go away. That's what you're thinking about. But meanwhile, people are in there trying to educate you from kindergarten to college facts and that is the truth and you know my son had to see me in the county like I don't know if you guys ever heard of Sheriff Joe the um what's the lady from Black Ink she went there where the jails is outside so if it's 118 degrees you outside in 118 in Arizona if it's 30 you outside in 30 degrees in some tents it's freezing and then it's hot and so the 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 they shackle you they make you wear like the stripes they make the men wear pink underwear and Mm -hmm. when when your family come to see you, you are shackled to that table oh. in handcuffs. So I didn't want my son to see me like that, but he still wanted to come. Like, no, mommy, like, I love you. I want to see you. I'm coming. And he would come. And 
um, you know, and he always used to keep telling me, he said, I don't know why, but God said four, you're going to be out at four. Mm-hmm. And when I got sentenced, you know, 120 days is four months. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I got. I got four months and a hundred and uh, four months and three years probation. And I completed it. I did everything. Um, when I came home from immigration. So, um, let me just rewind. January 11th, 2011, 2012, I was deported on paper. So I went before the courts, the immigration court, while I was, you know, in the facility and they deported me on paper. I appealed it with the Board of Immigration. They denied me. And then I took it to the Ninth Circuit. When I went to the Ninth Circuit, they were backed up for six years. So they awarded me, they allowed me to have a bond. And so I came home on a bond and I went back to school, went to the community college. And by 2016, I got out 2012, 2016, I graduated with a bachelor's degree. That's that same four days after. Congratulations. That's what's up. Congratulations. Thank you. I graduated on like May 12th. On May 16th, I started the one-year master's program. So I didn't even have a break. Four days later, I'm going to the master's program. And then that same day that I started my master's, I had a court date. To, I went before the state of Arizona and I requested to have my rights reinstated because being a social worker, I want to take it to the highest degree to become a therapist, to be a licensed clinical social worker. And so with that, you know, I didn't want to have to answer these felony charges and all these things. So I wanted my, my record clear. So I went before the courts and the judge was like, man, I knew you were going to do great things. I'm so proud of you, Miss Burke. He was like, you know, thank you for, you know, giving back in your service, being a social worker to help in society. Mm-hmm. Like, and I heard your son is about to get a scholarship that he's doing, pl- playing football. He's doing great things. And him and my lawyer's laughing and they joking about which school my son should go to. And he gave me my rights back and he set my charges aside. So that means awesome. a lot of states do expungement. But in Arizona, it's called set aside. So he gave me the set aside, restored my rights. And on the paperwork, it says that I am to be um, any disability that a felony give, you know, would pose into my life. I am to be restricted from that. So I would think that that meant everything. So I'm like, all right, good. Now I don't have no problems with immigration. You know what I mean? Because that's a disability. And Homeland Security said, no. They said, the only thing that's going to help you is if you get a, a pardon from the governor. I said, okay, everybody's telling me to, yo, you bugging, they're not going to give you no pardon, you got all these da-da-da-da felonies, you got four, they're not doing it. I said, okay, what I know, the devil, when he tell you you can't do something, that means you could do it. So I went before the Board of Clemency, put the application in, and everything that they asked you for, did you pay your, to, your, your restitution, is that completed, did you finish your probation, did you get your set aside, and everything on that checklist, I had already had it. So they were like, okay. So now I went in before the board. I brought 12 or 16 people to court with me from all different walks of life. Arizona State University professors, my clients. I was working with homeless pregnant women at the time. Mm-hmm. People from the church, family members, um, people that like just I met randomly that was on substance abuse, was abusing substances like narcotics. And I helped them out and now they doing good things in their life, good credit score, great job. They came to the, to the uh, the court hearing and they spoke on my behalf. And the board of clemency, there was four justices, and they're like, three of them told me yes, and one told me no. And the one who told me no was a black man. It was so like I, I couldn't believe it, and I was crying, but I didn't realize that it was the majority that you needed. So I had three out of four, which was good. And they gave me a favorable recommendation. So they gave me the yes. And they wrote a beautiful letter to the governor, two and a half pages for him to sign it. That was 
in 2018, January 2018. For five years, I've been sitting here waiting for this governor to sign this paper. And on December 30th, 2022, which is about a month ago, I get a letter, I mean, an email with an attachment that says the governor of Arizona, the former governor of Arizona denied my pardon application. Oh my God. (laughs) So now at this moment, at any time, if I feel like, you know what I mean? They want to come in and hold me. I'm on, they're going to process the deportation and I'm on the first thing smoking out of here. And that's what has me so depressed. That's what had me feeling disappointed. That's what had me feeling so angry and in a dark place because my whole entire family lives in the United States. I have no family in Jamaica. My dad was the last person that was there. And like I said, 12 years ago, he was murdered, 13. So like, I don't have anybody in Jamaica. Where, where, what would I be doing there? Then they have me, you know, since about three years now, I haven't been able to work. So I've been doing Uber, Instacart, selling food, hustling for real. When I have a master's degree and I'm supposed to be making six figures. So it's not even like I was able to go use my degree and stack up some bread so I can make sure I'm good somewhere else. So it's like, you know, although I'm free physically walking around and I did my time, I'm still incarcerated with the thought of, in my mind, with the thoughts of being deported and living with that fear, if that makes any sense. Makes a lot of sense. So how do you survive now financially? You were saying that, um, you know, for the grace of God, somebody helped to pay some of your bills and stuff for you the other day. Oh, yeah. The other day. So I told you I had the stroke. So since November, I haven't been able to really like drive. I'm not supposed to I think we can let them know how you caught that stroke. I think that's the part that was missing. Oh, yeah. I was sitting down in my house one day. I just moved to a new place and, um... The I was sitting down and my friend came and lent me some tools and they came to pick the tools up. I had just finished putting on my curtains and stuff and they left and I sat down on my bed and normally I get up and I work out like five days a week and I felt this day I was like I don't feel good I feel tired like my body feels weird so I was like I'm just gonna sit down and I sat down on the bed and I went blind in one eye my right eye mm. I couldn't anything. And so I laid down, Mac, imagine making, like, I'm just going to get up and make some tea as soon as this goes away. <laughs> and my dog starts barking, barking, and he's, like, barking relentlessly. And then I'm like, yo, just chill. I'm going to take you. You don't, you cannot have to go outside right now. Like, just be easy. I'm going to come get you. And he starts barking even harder. And now he's, like, rubbing me with his nose. And he's a little dog. And he's jumping on me. And I'm like, Dad, okay, I'm going to get up and take you outside. But he didn't have to go outside. He was trying to get me to realize something was happening. Mm. I chopped it up. And then I realized I couldn't feel my right side. And I was like, oh, shoot, something's going on in my body. So I hit my niece up. And she was like, you have to go to the hospital. And so anyway, I get to the emergency room. And the they end up keeping me. They're like, she's having a stroke. And ran me to go get a CT scan and do all these things. And I ended up in the hospital. I was there for like eight days. And then um, they had they wanted me to go to an inpatient rehab facility, and then I had to go do physical therapy. And my right side is still not all the way well, so they're saying it's gonna be like six months before I'm gonna heal up, you know. But I'm doing good. Like I could walk up the steps now, and I could walk, you know, fast. I can actually even run right now. But my side is still. Thank, Thank you, and my vision in my right eye but like some days if I'm I like I don't listen and I'm driving the other day and my arm went numb my right arm thank god I could do it with my oh left eye 
if the leg goes numb, I'm going to hurt somebody and myself. So right. I can't drive. And that's what I was so doing. So are you in therapy right now? In therapy? No, I'm going to a new doctor because the doctor want to put me on medication. And that's the thing. I don't have health insurance. Oh, my God. Right. So I reached out to um, this attorney that was helping me out. He put me in an email thread with some people. And this nice um, man named Jason Flom, and he connected me with this organization called the Pandemic of Love. So they've been having helping having people just been out the blue, like paying my helping me pay my phone bill, my car note, um, sending money to my Venmo account so that I could pay my bills. They had me make an Amazon list and they're helping me with the things like groceries and things for the dogs and stuff like that that I needed. So that's that's amazing. That's really amazing. So how do you want people to help you? How do you want, you know, people to, um, you know, get in contact with you if that's any, you know, consult to you? Um, Just let them, let them know, you know what I mean? Because I'm just still sitting here like my stomach is in knots. I'm like, oh my God, you know? Uh, Well, right now, like I was telling you yesterday, and I have some time to think about it, um, how people can help is I'm going to put a petition together with change.org and we are going to I'm going to just start campaigning I'm going to go to the media with my story so that we could put some pressure on the new governor of Arizona who's a democratic lady her name is Katie Hobbs to get her to give me the pardon because I just I've done too much man I came home like I told you I never went backwards I have a bachelor's a master's degree in 2018, I started going to school for my uh, doctorate. Mm-hmm. So I have a, a three semesters left to finish my doctoral degree in behavioral health management. And I've pursued the highest level of education. I've this My case is 20 years old. I've not gotten in any more trouble. My son got a scholarship to... Uh, to college you know I've raised him by myself as a single mom even with all the adversities and he's a great young man yeah he's awesome I met him he's so awesome thank you and so it's just me and him for my family to be separated and me never see my son be able to not when I say never but like it would be so hard for my son to have to pick up everybody when he gets married or have a baby I wouldn't even be to see my grandchildren and their accomplishments put me off to a country that I don't know like I came from Jamaica in 1979 and I am 46 years old I was three years old at the time to send me to a country that I don't know is just like I'm holding back the tears right now because it's like I can't even think about that like yes it's a a beautiful your life and it's supposed to be America the land of opportunities and dreams but you also have an organization tell us about that so I have an organization it's called Well Athletic Development it's a non-profit where we give resources and support and teach develop athletes both mentally socially give teaching them social emotional social and emotional intelligence and we just provide resources to them so if they need game day clothing if they need help with rent and utility assistance and when we give them and provide them with the resources that the ask is that they take like a self-development class you know and work on themselves inside so that they can be total you know they can be whole mm-hmm. but, you know the whole individual both inside and out uh-huh that is awesome like i was saying i've never heard of anything like that before that's really an awesome organization and very well needed so Thanks. you're gonna um, you're welcome so you're gonna start um I, I, I remember i suggested yesterday that you start a gofundme page too as well and um 
you know, those are the, the requests that you are going to, well, the, the request when I'm saying it, you're going to start a petition, but how do you want people to help you in the interim? In the interim, I just need help. Well, one, they can pray for me. Prayer is very much needed right now. Um, if anybody has any connections to like media outlets um, or just any direction that they can give me on like, cause it's, I don't know about this. I'm just speaking from the heart of things that I should be saying, any networks that I need to, to reach out to, um, podcast, or, you know, if anybody has any experience in this, then if they can reach out to you or anybody in your network, I would greatly appreciate just any type of guidance or like help with a strategy so that I could get the story, the world basically, or the nation. Okay. And also, could you give them your Instagram if you want to? My Instagram is Nat Mogul. My TikTok is Nat Mogul, N-A-T-M-O-G-U-L. And my email is Nat, N-A-T-B-U-R-K-E, 2010 at gmail.com. Thank you, Nat. Is that, is that anything else you want to say? Anything else you want to let them know? I just want to say thank you, Jackie, and to your okay. anyone listening. I hope that my story, me telling you a little bit that I did, you can know that you can accomplish anything, no matter what uh looks dark in your life you have everything in you to get through whatever it is that you're experienced you don't know what you you know you don't know what's inside you until your back is against the wall so just like an olive has to be pressed and crushed for the oil to come out you know a diamond has to go through the fire in order to be refined and to become that beautiful gem the same way that I was blessed to still be here today and all the adversity that I've been through, I'm here. It only made me stronger. So I just hope that my story could be an inspiration to you as well. Well, thank you, Natalie, because we are all praying for you. And I hope this goes viral and, you know, people hear your story and, you know, understand that, you know, everybody is human. We all make mistakes. You know, no one judge you. No one condemn you. But please understand what you're, you know, what you're going through and what you're dealing with. And as always, thank you for being one of the best part with Front Row with Jackie Rowe. My message to everyone is always, you know, I mean, be encouraged, be inspired, do something for yourself, love yourself, put yourself first. And, you know, just know that, you know, one day there's, I kept saying this to you yesterday, there is a tunnel, that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Everybody goes through a tunnel, but there always, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. So shine bright, Natalie, that's for you. And shine bright to all my listeners. And thank you again for being the best part of Front Row with Jackie Rowe. Thank you.